0: What up, 6 p.m.? Uh, good to be here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 13, that's where we're going to be tonight. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're going to have a big Bible behind me on screen, and we're in part three of a series called Wrapped in Love. And the whole premise behind this series is to remind us that sometimes in life, the best gifts are often in wrapping that you and I don't necessarily like. Uh sometimes the best gifts that God gives us are in wrapping paper that uh, we would kind of discard if we had a choice. But uh, sometimes God has some gifts for us to experience, and it's through the wrapping of maybe some difficulties and so forth. And so His love is the wrapping paper that can really redefine any situation that we're in. And so uh, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be continuing in this series Uh, We're going to look at about 17 verses, and so if you didn't read your Bible today, don't worry. We're going to be reading it together. John chapter 13, verse 1 says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth for three years, and now he loved them to the very end. I love that. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up and he beat up Judas and he threw down. No, that's not what he did. He got up from the table. You and I would do that. (laughs) He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin then he began to wash the disciples feet drying them with the towel he had around him verse 6 when jesus came to simon peter peter said uh, lord are you going to wash my feet jesus replied you don't understand now what i'm doing but someday you will i feel like that's a word for someone here tonight that you're going through a situation right now you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through but god wants to remind you and encourage you that someday you will here's the reality of that. It might be on this side of eternity that God will give us a glimpse onto why certain things needed to happen in our lives, or it might be on the other end of eternity where we see him face to face and he finally explains to us why we have to go through what we go through. We don't understand now, but we can trust God in the process. Can we get an amen? Trust him in the middle of of things that don't necessarily make sense. Verse 8. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you. You won't belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my head, my hands as well. Lord, everything, not just my feet. Just come and wash all of me. I need you. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? Using it as a a teaching moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you for doing them. I want to preach a message to us tonight from the premise, throw on the towel. Throw on the towel. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Throw on the towel. Most of us know the phrase throw in the towel, and we use that as a means to really be a a phrase that we would say to give up, or to surrender, or to just quit. But I want to do a play on words. Instead of throwing in the towel, I want us to throw on the towel. And we're going to look at what that specifically means for our lives tonight. So if you're ready for God's word, say yeah. Yeah. If you're ready for God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Lord, that is our prayer tonight. Lord, we want you. We don't want to hear from a preacher, God. We want to hear from your spirit, Lord. We need your word to change us from the inside out, and we thank you that one word from you can do that. You can do a miracle in our heart that will leave us better than we came, so we posture ourselves to hear from you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive for everything you want to do in our hearts tonight. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Throw on the towel. I want to ask a question as we start tonight. That might come off morbid, but it's not supposed to be a morbid question. It really is a reflection kind of a question. My question is this. What would you do if you only had 24 hours left to live on this earth? Like, what would you do in that last 24 hours? What would your activities be? As you're thinking about what you would do on on your day, I I had some thought about what I would do. And my day would kind of be like a normal, ordinary day. I would wake up early in the morning like I normally do at 5 a.m. and get to the gym to get a good morning workout in. Something about working out first thing that just sets the course of your day to make it feel very productive. And I work out at a CrossFit gym, but I don't necessarily do CrossFit. I do CrossFat because (laughs) look at me. I'm not necessarily in the best of shape. And as hard as I work out, it doesn't necessarily translate because my eating always negates the workout that I do. But it's something about just getting that workout in to start the day right, And then I would come home, get ready, and then I would drive all the way out to Turtle Bay to get a good round of golf. And I would have, uh, I would golf with, uh, some of my good friends. And I would have my wife drive the cart. So she has front row access to see how bad I am at golf, but how much I love and enjoy golfing. And I want to explain to her that it's, it's not about the golf. It's God's way of reminding me that I can't be good at everything. That's why I golf. It keeps me humble. But although I golf pretty bad, the funny thing about that is is I look and dress as if I golf really well. That's how I do it. i rather look good and golf bad than look bad and golf bad. That's a double negative, and we ain't about that life. So golf on the way back home, stop at Stordo's for some lunch, and then how many of us know you got to take an afternoon nap? That's me. I'm getting old. I got to get that nap in because I need some energy for the second half of my day. So I get a, a good nap in, uh, wake up the family, we'll drive out to Koalina for some beach and a sunset, enjoy the moment there with my, my family, uh, get the CPK dinner on the way home, because there's something about that artichoke dip and that butter, butter cake, because it's all butter in that cake that tastes really good eat that. And then here's what I wanted to end the night with. I'll gather all the worship team, Pat, and all the people who can sing really well. And I want to like end the night with like a worship night because I thought it would be pretty cool. Like, you know, just going out worshiping like the, you know, your last breath or my last breath here on earth, worshiping God, to open my eyes and to see Jesus face to face, and my hands is up, and then his hands is up, and he's like, bring it in, son, I mean, I hug it out with Jesus, and it was like, wow, it's pretty cool to end my last moments on earth to do the first thing that I want to do in eternity, and that's worship the person who got me there. Pretty good for my 24 hours. Now, that's what, like is customized for me, but what would your 24 hours look and feel like? Because here's the reality about what we would say about our 24 hours is this. What we do and who we do it with really reveals to us what we value and who we value in our lives. So those last 24 hours, whatever you say, whatever activities that you would define for yourself to do, that's what you describe to be valuable in your life. And the people that you would do it with will be people that you would describe to be valuable people in our lives. Here's the irony of that. That's what we would say and do with our last 24 hours, but many of us live our lives doing the exact opposite of what we would want our last moments on earth to be, which shows us that sometimes our priorities in life can kind of be off, right? And maybe tonight my message and a part of the message encouragement is to maybe align some of the things that we need to do with our lives to make sure that what we say we value, we actually put into action so that our actions reflect what we really value. Here's the kicker about that. You know what Jesus did in his last 24 hours? He wanted to spend quality time with his disciples. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to spend the last moments having a good meal and great conversation with the men that he spent three years of his life devoted to equipping and empowering to be the disciples that he called them to be. But the thing about this dinner wasn't a, a fun dinner because the conversation in the dinner was filled of conflict and stress. The disciples were arguing right before this about who's the greatest disciple that's what they were talking about. They're like, no, I'm, the, I'm better than you. What you? You're going to only bench 135. Bro. I can do two plates. Bro. They're, that's, they're having that kind of argument with one another. And Jesus is like, really? This is what you want to talk about? Have I not taught you anything? And they're talking about greatness. And so Jesus goes into teacher mode. And instead of telling them what greatness is, he begins to model for them what real love and sacrifice is, but also He shows and displays through his action what the ultimate form of service is, washing the disciples' feet. So from this passage of scripture, we're going to pull out three points, and then I want to land the ship by looking at three lessons that you and I can apply to our lives from this context of throw on the towel. First point in our notes is this, Jesus pursues. Jesus pursues. He pursues us. Verse 1 in the passage that we read said this, He had loved His disciples during His ministry on earth, and now He loved them to the very end. Un- other translations would say this, He showed them the full extent of His love. And for you and I, Jesus wants to reveal the full extent of His love for us. He doesn't want us just to sing about His love. He actually wants us to experience his love firsthand. And here's the reality about God's love for you and I, or really what real love is. Real love or true love never quits pursuing. God's love for us will constantly pursue us. Uh, About a week ago, I had the privilege and the honor to do the Loretta wedding. They're sitting over here in the front. Uh, Vin and uh, Alyssa got married at the same place where me and my wife got married a couple years ago. And so it was a great moment at a Cafe Julia, a super beautiful uh, place. And uh, Vin, the first time he actually saw Alyssa was at the, uh, the, the altar. Like he was standing there, his back face, and she was standing at the end of the aisle. And he turned around, and he looked at her for the first time. He was crying. I kept it together. <laughs> that wasn't the first time he cried, but Brother Man cried about a thousand times. <laughs> he was probably dehydrated with all the tears that came out of him. What is, it was a really beautiful moment. She's walking down the aisle. He's crying. We have this beautiful atmosphere surrounded by family and friends who wanted to create an atmosphere uh, atmosphere for, for their commitment to one another. And I thought to myself in that moment, it's easy to love in an environment like that. How can you not? Like, seriously. How can you be mad at the person when the environment just kind of gives into you really having an emotion for that person. And I thought to myself, it's easy to fall in love. It's harder to stay in love. Come on, somebody. Where are my married people at? (laughs) Where are the real people who knows exactly what I'm talking about, that falling in love is easy, but staying in love is another story? Come on, somebody. I'm really preaching really, really good. And we're not even talking about relationships. But staying in love means that we don't rely on emotions, right? Staying in love means we got to choose sometimes to put our emotions aside for the betterment of the other person. And the reality about pursuing someone is this. Pursuit equals passion or creates passion for us. The more we pursue someone the more passionate we're going to be about that person. The reality for many of us who have a difficult time staying in love is because we stopped doing the things that got us in love to the, with the person in the first place. So the things that created us to have an attraction for the person, we were doing a lot of things uh, subconsciously, and then when we got married or when we got in love, the things that we did that got us in love, we stopped doing and we wonder why our heart isn't excited about the person. Because the very things that we used to do, we stopped doing. So for us, if we find ourselves lacking passion in our lives, we have to re-ask ourselves this question. What am I not doing that's not creating the passion that I need? And it's probably because I stopped pursuing certain things in my life, which is allowing me to not be passionate about stuff. So if our passion is failing, it's because we are not pursuing the person that God has called us to pursue. Here's the reality about you and I. Jesus constantly pursues us. Now, we all know that God loves us and Jesus loves us. But the other end of that is this. Jesus never stops pursuing you. Yes, he loves you, but he loves you so much that he's constantly pursuing us constantly chasing after us. Most of us think that you are here tonight because you made a decision to be in church tonight. The reality is this. Jesus was pursuing you to get you into this moment right here. He was causing things to happen. He was drawing you into his love, and the fact that you're here is a sign that God is loving you because he's drawing you into an environment for you to tangibly experience his love. So God doesn't just love us. He's constantly pursuing us. And the pursuit that he has for us empowers us to pursue him back. So if you find yourself dry in your relationship with God, sometimes we got to ask ourselves, man, am I doing the things? Am I pursuing God? Am I chasing after him? Did I lose my first love because I got caught up in life? We got to get back to the simplicity of allowing God to love us and responding to his love in our lives. So Jesus pursues. Second point in our notes is this. Jesus served. Simple. Jesus served. Verse 4 and 5. He got up from the table, took off his robe, and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. So Jesus, wanting to show them the fullness of his love, models love by washing feet. So for us, we don't have the context of understanding why you would wash someone's feet. But back in the day, during this time when the scripture was being written, they didn't have paved roads like we do today. They didn't have air Jordans. They had air sandals, okay? Okay. And so on their journey to different places, uh, although they might be physically clean, their feet would collect dirt and doo-doo along the way. So by the time they got to the person's house, the feet were dirty. And a good host would offer this service to people as a sign of just uh, being a great host. He would offer the person, hey, do you want your feet to be washed? And most people would say Yes. Really why would they wash feet is because they didn't sit at tables and chairs that we do for dinner. They actually would sit like on a cushion on their side. So as they're eating on their side, the, the person's uh, feet would be, the person next to them would have their feet kind of in their face. And how many of us know you can't really eat a good meal if brother man's feet is stinking right in front of you? <laughs> and so that's why they would have this customary act of, of service. And so the host would say, hey, you want your feet to be washed? And the person would reply, yes or no, if they wanted their feet to be washed, here's the kicker, the host wouldn't wash their feet. The host would have a servant wash the feet because that was another way for them to flex on the other person to show how much authority and how much influence they had. They would have another person of lower statue wash the person's feet. So in this story that we're reading, we don't know why the disciples' feet weren't washed but they were obviously having a conversation with stinky feet. They're talking about greatness, and Jesus wants to show them what greatness really is. And he got up and did the task that was customary to be done by the lowliest of servants. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, why would Jesus do that? Well, one, Jesus was 100% God and 100% mad at the same time. So he had divinity, but he also had authority. He should be the last person washing feet, but he wanted to use it as a teaching moment. So he humbled himself, took off his robe, got down on his knees, wrapping a towel around his waist, and did the task of a lowly servant washing the stinky feet of the disciples. Now, here's what I want us to realize. Before he got down on his knees to wash feet, he needed to take off his robe. The robe was symbolic of his divinity and his authority. So what he was saying and communicating that, I'm taking off the authority that I have in this moment, and I'm going to humble myself and put on a servant's outfit to serve the disciples. Here's the truth. The disciples should have been washing his feet, Instead, he's washing the disciples' feet. What is he saying to us? That no task for us as believers should be beneath us. If Jesus can get down and dirty to serve and love people in this capacity, you and I have no excuse. We need to throw off certain things that will prevent us from humbling ourselves to wash people's feet. So what are some of those things that would stop us from washing people's feet? Are bad mindsets, thinking that this is beneath me. Do you know who I am? I don't wash feet. People wash my feet. So that's pride. Well, there are some things, some bad attitudes. How many of us would be honest that you have moments where you have bad attitudes? Not me. I kill it every day, but other people, I'm the victim of other people's bad attitudes. That was a joke, guys. Okay, loosen up, loosen up. But bad attitudes, sometimes we got to throw off the bad attitudes and put on a good attitude to serve other people. What are some of the things that's preventing you from serving other people? That other person doesn't deserve me serving them. Well, we got to take that off too. To put on humility to serve other people. So Jesus was displaying both love and true greatness to the disciples and communicating to us that no task was too small for him. Which is crazy because Jesus is communicating to us that humility and service goes hand in hand. Here's the truth for us. Before we can serve other people or before we even serve Jesus, we have to understand how much he served us in our lives. Now God, before we start serving him, because people think, man, oh, you got to go to church. You got to do all of these things for God. Those things that we do for God are always a response to everything that God has done for us. If we forget what God has done for us, then those tasks seem like religion. We're being a religious person, doing religious tasks. But the reason why we do those tasks, because those are responses to the way in which Jesus has served us. My question to you tonight, how has Jesus served you? For me, I remember 19 years ago. Before I came into faith, man, I was broken, I was insecure, I was finding my identity in a relationship, I was addicted to pornography, I had no purpose in my life, and then Jesus pursued me and Jesus served me, cleansed me, gave me a purpose, gave me a reason to live, started to take off some of the junk in my life, and although I do a lot for Jesus, it doesn't compare to what Jesus has done for me in my life. I'm always on the losing end in this battle of serving God because he's always outserve me in my life. And so what I do for him is never to get him to love me. It's a response because he already does love me. So for us, when we miss out on what God has done to serve us in our lives, we get caught in religion, going through the motion, clocking in and clocking out, but we realize that the passion that we have for God is always breaking down the understanding. That Jesus is constantly pursuing us, but he's also constantly serving us. So how has Jesus served you? Because I know the many ways in which he served me, and I am forever grateful and will spend the rest of my life trying to win this game of serving him, even though I know I'm going to lose. Because he's that good of a God. Jesus served. Last point before we get into some takeaways, is this, we are to show others the same kind of love that Jesus showed us. Verse 14 and 15 says this, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, do as I have done to you. The truth about God is this, he will never ask you to do something that he first didn't model for us. I don't know if you have certain jobs and bosses that have a good time telling people what to do, but they will never ever model for them what they should do. They're just like dictating and telling people what to do. You ever seen a local job site? You got 10 chiefs looking at one thing and one guy doing the job? Because there's everybody saying, you do it, but we just want to stand around and watch because we don't want to do certain things. We just like telling people what to do. Our God is not like that. Our God not only invites us to do certain things, the first thing that he does is show us how to do it. So Jesus is saying, we got to serve. Here's how you serve. Jesus didn't just serve the people that he liked. He served everyone. So what is he modeling for us? How we should live our lives. That's why the more we get into God's word, we understand what Jesus did to serve us. That's motivation for us to serve others. People. And the crazy thing about Jesus is this, right before the most difficult time in his life, about to go to the cross, to die on the cross for our sin, taking the punishment that you and I deserved, he was constantly thinking about other people. He was thinking about the disciples serving them. On the cross, he was thinking about his mom, and he told the disciple, hey, make sure you take care of my mom. On the cross, he's thinking about other people people. So for us, you know what maturity in our faith is? We think less about us and more about other people. Maturity as believers is this. God got me, so I'm going to do my part to get other people. I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to display him to other people. So it's less about my needs. Jesus, you got me. It's about now me meeting the needs of other people. Cuz the truth about that is this. Sometimes the closest a person will ever get to Jesus is through our actions. We become models of Christ, and let's just be honest in the house of the Lord, sometimes we don't do a good job of that. We have a better message that we preach that doesn't always reflect the life that we live, and I'm guilty of doing that as well. So what Jesus is communicating to us is this. Don't just tell people that Jesus loves you. Show people that he loves you, by how we treat them with our lives. So for us, if serving is beneath us, then leading is beyond us. We're never really going to lead. We're never going to have right influence. Why? Because the pathway to leadership and influence in the kingdom of God is service, serving other people. Most people won't remember what we say, but they'll always remember how we made them feel. So this holiday season, can we do our part to make people not only hear about the love of God, but actually feel and experience that love through our lives? So if you need examples on how you can serve and love other people, just ask yourself this question, what would you want people to do for you? Start there and start loving others in the same way that you would want them to love you. So those are the general ideas from that passage of Scripture. Now I want to kind of land this ship and take away some lessons that we can apply to our lives from washing feet. Three things that we can take away is this. The first thing is this. Invite God into the dirty areas of your heart. So Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed feet. Can we talk about feet for a second? Feet are nasty. Am I right? Feet are disgusting. If you wear slippers, majority of the time, you probably have pretty gross feet, okay? Let's just be honest in church. Feet are gross. Sometimes the second toe is longer than the big toe. Sometimes the baby toe is being rogue and not want to hang out with the rest and just hanging off on the side, being antisocial. Sometimes the toenails can be smelly and discolored. Man, feet are pretty gross. Can we be honest? And right now, if you're insecure about your feet, your toes are curled up right here. In this moment, you're just like, ah, this is disgusting. But feet are gross. And not only are feet gross, but feet are probably one of the ugliest parts of our lives. Now, I know there's weird people who like feet, and we're not going to talk about that. But if we were to categorize our body parts as far as, like, attractive to least attractive, least attractive, feet will probably be up there, all right? So what is God, through Christ, trying to communicate to us through washing feet that Jesus isn't intimidated with the ugly areas of our lives. That's what he's trying to say. He wants to reveal his love in the areas that we need his love, and so the ugly feet is symbolic of the ugly areas of our heart. Now, we all have it. You and I all have areas of our lives, patterns of thinking, patterns of living, that aren't necessarily attractive to other people. And what Jesus is waiting for us to do is to invite him in to the ugly areas of our heart. Here's the reality. Most of us are trying to clean up this area on our own, and that's frustrating because we can't clean out the ugly in our heart. Only Jesus can do that. If you and I could clean ourselves up, we wouldn't need a savior. So the fact that we're stuck with ugliness in our lives is a passionate thing that should create in us a passionate desire to pursue the one who can only clean us. Now, we're not talking about feet. We're talking about holiness. Only Jesus can make us holy. And so what we need to do is invite him into the areas of our lives that are ugly and gross and allow him to love and wash and cleanse us. It's kind of like this to help us to understand this. Uh, kind of like washing my car, but since I have my son, I don't really wash my car too much. But I find it always ironic that every time you wash your car, later on in the day, it always rains. So I'm mad at some people today, because I bet you a bunch of people on the island today was washing their car yesterday, and that's why we had the storm that we had today, (laughs) people wash their cars. But it's funny that You wash your car, and the most frustrating thing is you just polished it, maybe put the tire shine on it. The car is looking really good. You park it in the garage, and then you go for a dinner, and it starts to rain. And you're like, oh, my gosh, why did this happen to me? Anybody ever experienced that before? Now, in that moment where your car is getting dirty, are you thinking to yourself, man, I got to get a brand new car. Like, this car is done. This car sucks. Who's thinking about that? They're thinking, no, I got to wash the car again. So what is Jesus communicating to us? That just because you made a mistake, if you have a relationship with God and you receive them into your heart, you don't need to buy a new life. You don't need to keep praying the salvation prayer. You just need to invite him in by acknowledging him in the areas where we fell short. What I mean by that is this. We got to make a confession of the areas that we made a mistake. So most people think I messed up. I either gotta get water baptized again or I gotta get saved all over again. So every time Pastor prays the prayer at the end of the service, it's like, man, I messed up. It's a rough week. (laughs) Jesus, save me. No, you're saved. We need a cleansing. Here's what the Bible says about that. First John 1 9 says this if we confess our sins, he is two things faithful and just to do two things for us forgive us of our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means we need to acknowledge verbally, God, I made a mistake. Here's the thing about God. He knows he made a mistake. He's just waiting for us to acknowledge it. It takes humility to acknowledge to God the mistakes in our lives. So if you had a bad night or you did something dumb, the first thing that we should do is this, God, I made a mistake. I screwed up, Lord. I messed up. I ask for you to forgive me. And when we do that, what God is saying in his scripture is this. He's not only going to give us forgiveness, but he's also going to cleanse our heart from all that junk in our lives. The longer we wait to do that moment, the more junk we're going to accumulate along the way. So the first thing, our first response when we make a mistake, because you will, is to come humbly before the throne of God and say, God, I made a mistake. I ask for your forgiveness. Wash me and cleanse me. We need God to not only wash us from the outside in, we need him to wash us from the inside out. So he's waiting on us to acknowledge our mistakes. And when we do that, he forgives us and cleanses us because that's how amazing he is. Now, most people would think then, you mean every time I can do that? We think that, oh, I can make a mistake. Okay, I kind of want to go out Saturday night, but I got to be in church Sunday morning because, you know, Saturday night, we're going to get lit. You're already pre-planning what you want to do. And then we got to ask ourselves the question, do I have a relationship with God in the first place? Because if I did, I would question my decisions before that. God is not just this genie that automatically shows up and does what we want. And if we're using that as a license to sin, we might not have a genuine relationship with God, and that's a different story. So allowing God into our hearts. Second thing is this we need to be humble to do two things, to serve and to be served. It takes humility to serve other people. It takes greater humility to be served by other people. Verse 8, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet, Jesus. He replied by saying this, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Many of us are like Peter. We can serve people, but there is no way I'm letting people serve me. I'm not going to humble myself to allow somebody else to serve me. So we resist serving, but we look for every opportunity to serve other people. There's three things that people have a difficult time in saying. First thing is, I need help. Second thing is, I'm sorry. And the third thing is, Worcestershire Shosh. Where's are Shosh? Those are three things. Shashi, very Shashi, okay? Three things that we have a difficult time saying, but the first one, I need help. Most of us don't want to acknowledge that we need help because that's a vulnerable place to be. All of us in this Instagram society want to put on a good front, make sure that everything is perfect and neat, all filtered out, but our hearts are dying on the inside because we're living a life contrary to what we're portraying on the outside. And your breakthrough is on the other end of your acknowledgement that you need help. You need help. And some of us right now, God is challenging you to think and to say, I need help. It reminds me of a story of a man who was trapped in his house because of a flood. The flood got so bad that it filled up the entire house, and the only way that he found safety was on the roof of his house. And so he's on the roof. The entire city is flooded, and this is what his prayer was. God, save me. Immediately after he prayed that prayer, a person on a jet ski rose up and says, hey sir, can I give you a help? You want to jump on? He's like, don't worry about me. God's got me. He's going to save me. The person's like, okay, that's weird. Rips off in his jet ski. Ten minutes later, the person again, God, you got me. Please save me. A person comes on a boat, two people. Hey, sir, you want to get in? You need help? No. I don't need your help. God's got me. 30 minutes later, a helicopter comes, drops the ladder down to the person. Hey, sir, come on up. It's going to get bad. You need to get on up on this uh, helicopter. The person goes, I don't need your help. God's got me guy ends up dying, goes to heaven, drowns. He asks God, God, why didn't you save me? Why didn't you help me? God was like, I sent three people (laughs) to save you. Oftentimes, we're resisting the help that God is sending us because we don't like the package in which the help is coming from, and the help is coming from other people. So right now in this season, God is probably wanting to send people your way but you're resisting them because you are too filled with pride to ask for help. That's why we build this church on small groups. It's a place for you to feel safe enough to ask for help. One of our guys in our group yesterday texted the group because he was moving. And how many of us know, you know who your true friends are when you got to move. So you shot out the text and majority of the guys in the group showed up. He had a bunch of people there. The job of moving was easy. Why? Because many hands make the the work light. But I know for a fact that it was a humbling and vulnerable moment for him to send out that text. And the reason why most people don't ask for help, because you did before and you got hurt. So you got the rejection infection. And every time you feel vulnerable enough to ask, you get triggered because the last time you asked, no one showed up. So I am never going to ask for help again. Because that pain of being rejected. Is stopping you from receiving the help that you need. We're not only called to serve other people, but we're also called to humbly receive help. Can you do that in this season? Ask for the help that you need because God wants to send people to care for you in this moment. Last point in our notes is this. Put down the sword and pick up the towel. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Verse 11, Jesus knew who would would betray him. Who was eventually going to betray him? Judas, all right? So Judas was about to, right before, he didn't know that he was going to betray him, but Jesus knew. And so Jesus knows the person who was going to betray him, yet he still got down and washed his feet. You and I don't have the luxury of knowing who's going to betray us. Jesus did. But Jesus is asking us the question, can we still wash the feet of the person that's going to betray us in our lives? Let's look at what the betrayal looked like, okay? And I think what one of the main reasons why he needed to wash Judas's feet was less about Judah or Judas and was more about his heart because he didn't want his heart to get corrupted by bitterness and resentment. So he served first to free his heart from the grip of the enemy. And so he was modeling for us what he wanted us to do. So, Matthew 26, 49 to 52, this is what the betrayal looks like. Jesus, uh, Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. The person closest to him betrayed him with a kiss. It was the kiss of death. Verse 50, Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. Could have attacked him, but he allowed Judas to do what needed to be done. Then others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men, we find out in another translation that it was Peter, with Jesus, put out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. This is what Jesus says to that. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will also die by the sword. So what Jesus is modeling for us is this. In life, when we're dealing with difficult people, people that might betray us, people who might backstab us, we have a choice to make. Are we going to throw on the towel or are we going to pick up our sword? Now, the thing about our sword is this. Our sword is our natural instinct, our natural impulsive reaction to when someone hurts us. If someone hurts us, we want to slice them right back. How many of us have done some slicing in your life before i got this from uh, nepal and the lord's protection was upon me that i was able to bring it back because i would have been detained if that would happen but i wasn't thinking at the time but anyways so i got this nepalese uh, knife and a sword and i want us to know that man our instinctive reaction in life is to just start throwing this thing around someone says something bad to us we pull the sword right out slice 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 Slicing ears, arms, and all kinds of stuff, right? Because it's the instinctive reaction. So when backstabs up, so you're thinking about, I'm going to slice, slice, slice. We start cutting people up. So Jesus is telling us, don't do what you're instinctively wanting to do. Instead, put this down and pick up the towel to wash their feet. Crazy. I know. You're thinking about yourself and the situation, maybe a person that's wronged you. And you think, I'm supposed to wash their feet? You know what they did to me? Yeah, I know what they did to you. But I also know what Jesus has done for us. And he could have used the sword on us. Instead, he used the towel. So what does that mean for us? That we need to put down the sword and to pick up the towel. But you might be thinking, the towel is a sign of weakness. Man, if I I wash their feet, they're just going to get away with everything. They're going to get away with murder. They're going to do all that kind of stuff, and I'm just going to let them slide. No, you're not letting them slide. You're putting them in the hands of God by washing their feet. The Bible says this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't take matters into our own hands. We wash and put the person in God's hands. But here's the crazy thing about that. You and I on our own strength, we can't just wash feet because our love is very limited. We have conditional love. We need the grace of our Heavenly Father to pick up towels in our lives. We can't do it on our own strength. If you're trying to wash people's feet on your own strength, you're going to get frustrated because our love has limits. But God's love is limitless, and so we need to understand His love for us. And in moments where we want to pick up the sword, we got to say, no, I choose to keep my sword on my side, and I choose to pick up the towel. Real power is strength under control. You can, but you don't, because you serve someone who's ultimately washed all of our feet. Some of us, when people cut us off on the road, man, our salvation is out there the window. We're sporting up the whole place. That's why we don't give out pro-side bumper stickers and license plates because we want to be guilty by association, okay? (laughs) So you never find that here, all right? But that's the reality, that we got to start serving and washing other people's feet in that capacity. Some of us in conversations with our spouse, man, our spouse says one thing and then we just got a ton of things, slice, slice, slice. You know what is Jesus telling us? If we live by the sword, we're going to die by the sword, which means this, if your instinctive reaction to everything that people do to you is to pull out the sword, you're going to have dysfunctional relationships. You're going to kill any life-giving relationships in your life. So if you want to live by the sword, okay, you're going to suffer the consequences of being alone because you sliced all the people that God was trying to send you in your life. Easier said "Then, that, I know. But real service comes when we acknowledge that God served us. Now here's the truth about washing people's feet. Jesus washed Judah's feet but he still betrayed him. So if you think that you washing the person's feet is going to somehow change their response to you, we're going to get frustrated. Our response is to wash feet. God's job is to work on the other person. Don't allow their reaction to you to stop you from doing what God wants us to do in our lives. Now, I'm also not saying this. People can take this different ways. Does that mean I have to serve the person who's abusing me and being negative? Uh, physically and emotionally to me? No, that's not what we're talking about. And if you're in a situation like that, talk to someone so that they can give you perspective on how you should handle that situation. So I'm not saying that you got to be a doormat that people walk all over, but I am saying that in times when you can sword, slice, slice people up, put that down, and pick up the towel. Pick up the towel. Right now, I just sense that God is showing some faces, people. When you have your Christmas dinner and uncle is getting all drunk and doing some stupid stuff, you want to slice him, God is saying, no. Let's love him in that moment. Let's wash his feet. A funny thing about washing people's feet is God's heart is always happy when we walk in obedience, putting aside our feelings and trusting him by faith. So let's be feet washers, throwing on the towel with our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you.